0: Traveling through another dimension, dimension. a dimension not only of sight and sound but of mind, mind. a journey into a wondrous land land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone.
1: Tonight on the Twilight Zone podcast, the lines between truth and lies become blared. But one thing that I do know to be true is that I'm very pleased to be joined by one of the internet's finest Twilight Zone and Rod Serling commentators. My guest tonight is Paul. Paul, it's good to speak to you, man.
0: Hi, Tom. It's great to be here. I appreciate the invitation.
1: I think a lot of people listening will know you, they might not necessarily know your voice, some of them will, um, but they might have read something that you've written or they might have read a tweet that you've put out there. So tell us a bit about you and what your kind of involvement with the Twilight Zone Online is.
0: Funny thing is, like you said, I I doubt many people have heard me uh, speak. I mean, I've done a couple of podcasts, uh, you know, guesting, I mean, Mm. on, on other people's show. My main perch, or the, the the main way that I've been fanning, has been uh, on Twitter, uh, and uh, that's been for a long time. I actually set up my uh, Night Gallery account. You know, it's actually the username for it is the Night Gallery. Uh-huh. And I set that up in uh, 2010, so it's been nine years. The main reason I did that actually was because at the time, uh, this was pretty early on. I think you know, it's funny because social media is such a uh, ingrained part of our lives now that I think it's easy to forget that things like Facebook and Twitter 10 years ago really were just beginning Mm -hmm. and were very much in their infancy. And um, so at the time I was part of a a Yahoo email group of Night Gallery fans. And some of them who are older than me were lamenting the lack of awareness of Night Gallery, the show. And Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of had a moment of, well, you know what? Uh, there's this Twitter thing now. I'm going to go ahead and set up an account. And I've always loved. I mean, I'm a writer and I'm an editor by profession. And I've always, uh, I don't know why, but I just have loved. I just have a great memory for quotes uh-huh. uh, in shows. And my, my brother and I, it's funny, get us together and <laughs> we can do like whole passages in in movies and TV shows. You know, um, we've you know got this pop culture references in our brain everything from <laughs> 2001 a space odyssey to mash to you know yeah three's company for heaven's sakes i mean we're just sort of all over the place so i just thought it would be fun to do a um a twitter page that just did quotes and facts from from night gallery mm. but it wasn't long after that that it was like let's face it it's you know it's impossible to stay away from twilight zone which is really rod Serling's crowning glory yeah and so pretty soon i was weaving that in and then you know, you would think, well, nine years of quoting the show, you know, we need to be bored at this point, even if it is the greatest show of all time. But the funny thing is, the more I've gotten into his works, his teleplays and so many other things that he's written, yeah. uh, I just find such an incredible richness in his writing. You, you see the humanity that comes through on Twilight Zone in, throughout his work and mm-hmm. throughout his career um and so so it's just been very rewarding and the, the more I dig the more I find and the more there is to share so you know far from being tired of doing it at this point I feel like I could keep doing it forever so excellent I think
1: for me it's um because I began in 2010 as well and I suppose my my experience is similar in a way and I've said it before on the show so I won't tell the story again but My original thing was, you know what, I'll just watch an episode of The Twilight Zone and then I'll hit record and I'll go, hey, I really like this episode of The Twilight Zone. This happened and that was great. And, you know, just kind of (laughs) a a really sort of basic review of each episode. And it'd be something to, you know, just a bit of fun to to keep me watching the show kind of thing. But as time went on... You just kind of get bewitched by the show, the layers to it. And then you start to dig into Rod Sailing, look at what else he did, what he was trying to say. And all of this stuff comes into play, like you mentioned. And I think the interesting thing is that, apart from you know a couple of attempts over the years, it's not like Star Trek, where there's pretty much consistently been something going on. I know there was a bit of a break there after Enterprise, but... Right. The Twilight Zone isn't that kind of fandom, or at least it wasn't that kind of fandom. So when I kind of came on the scene, you it it was just like shouting out into the void, and then occasionally, right, that's how it felt. Someone would shout back, and you know, like
0: like yourself. And, and I think in the beginning, it was it was you and Chris Brown, mm. who was uh, who was doing the Night Gallery podcast. And uh, you were one of the only ones that I found out there that were doing anything, yeah, you know it was it was kind of lonely, so it's funny now to fast forward almost ten years later <clears throat> and then you find just so many Facebook accounts, Twitter accounts, books, podcasts, uh-huh blogs. It just feels like <laughs> you, you kind of feel like at one point you were the only house in the neighborhood, and now you're seeing high rises springing up all around you, you know. <laughs>
1: that's that's right that's right The the, the world's catching up yeah. to us in a way not that not that there weren't people doing things before us obviously because it's a 60 sure. year old show but I guess in terms of the internet and and putting stuff out there right so and you know it's great it, it's great that people are catching on to the Twilight Zone and that kind of thing I think for myself I'm terrible at the networking aspect of it you know there's there's all people doing different podcasts and that kind of thing but I like to make sure that what I'm doing is what I'm doing. So I don't like to be influenced by anyone else. I know what you mean. I keep my eye on what I'm doing. And then if we do do the same thing, then it it is purely coincidence. Um, But unfortunately it means I'm not a great sort of interactor with other people. I'm trying my best because I think that's very much part of doing things these days, but you know, But I've always made time to check out your blogs, Paul, because I I think you have a really great angle on the whole thing.
0: Oh, I appreciate that, Tom. Yeah, it's been, in fact, that's one thing when I first started it, you realize that without thinking about it, really that you had sort of an operating set of assumptions. And when I look back, when I started the uh, the Twitter page, I thought, oh, I'll just throw out these quotes and facts and hopefully a lot of people will follow and they'll like it and they'll retweet them. Mm. I had underestimated how much people want to talk about the show and how much they enjoy it. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, uh, from the very beginning, I wanted to respond to people and have conversations on Twitter or on Facebook or on the blog. And I keep thinking, I'm like, well, I wanted to grow. I mean, I like I mentioned, you know, almost thirty thousand followers. And obviously, I'd be delighted if it was quadruple that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I keep thinking, I never want to get so big that I'm not talking to people. Yeah. And so I really make an effort to respond to as many replies as I can, but it because I know because people they love getting a chance to to talk about it, uh-huh. and it's been really enlightening because you don't realize you think oh I'm a fan of the show you're a fan of the show yeah and you start having a conversation and then you realize oh you have things in common but then they'll say oh, you know this one uh, episode? I really hate that one. And you're like, really? I love that episode. And, <laughs> and Or vice versa. And then you try to find out, well, what's your theory about this episode? Um, and it may be very different from your theory. And that's very intriguing, you know.
1: Even as we age and look back on opinions we did have, they change too because I've listened back to old episodes that I've done and thought, I don't agree with that anymore you know so even my own (laughs) perspective changes over the years so
0: and people will as an example of that will write to me and say you know when i was a kid uh, i really didn't appreciate walking distance but now that i'm older yeah uh it really resonates with me you know stuff like that
1: definitely you know paul i think we could probably talk about uh, this aspect for, for a long time, and maybe we will do another time. <laughs> we'll, we'll just stick the microphones and, on and ramble for a bit about what, you know, this right, kind yeah. of perspective <laughs> that we have. But I guess tonight right. we're here to talk about the new Twilight Zone. So definitely, we'll get to a traveller in a moment, but up to now, where are you sitting with new Twilight Zone? What do you think? Whatever you want to say about it, give us your thoughts.
0: Uh, generally, it's been uh a positive experience for me but i think uh and this kind of goes to what i was talking about with my twitter account i i found that i think i have something of a um accidental advantage when it came to uh, the show i i've been uh, on record as being very uh in the months leading up to the show you know i was somebody who you know a lot of people were saying i can't wait uh but there were a lot of people who were also saying this is going to be terrible Mm -hmm. Uh, i was on record as saying that I was cautiously optimistic and i said you know jordan Peel's a talented man and uh, you know i have no doubt that they're gonna make a great effort and at the very least let's give him a chance and uh, you know i'm very glad that i took that attitude because i i, I just feel like you do need to give them a chance um uh-huh. what i found is interesting is looking at the reactions because i've i've read a lot of reviews as each episode has come out and what i was not expecting i didn't expect everybody to love it or hate it I was not expecting there to be such a wide variety of reaction to it. You know, generally there's something of a consensus with everything. You know, a lot of people love it and some people hate it. Or a lot of people hate it and some people love it. The reaction here has just been all over the map. Um, yeah. I just feel like I, I can't get over how wide-ranging it is. I mean, there was I was surprised to see an early review, for example, in Entertainment Weekly that referred to it in the headline as a calamity. I remember that one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and by the same token, there have been some people who have been falling all over themselves with praise for it. The reason I said I felt like I had a something of an accidental advantage is because throughout the years, I've had people approaching me about Night Gallery. And either they haven't seen it at all or they've seen a little bit of it and they'll just be like, you know, uh, you know is Night Gallery good? Should I go ahead and watch that? And I always tell them, I'm like, don't go into it expecting uh, Twilight Zone 2.0. Mm.
2: Um,
0: I know it's an anthology. I know it's hosted by Rod Serling. I know it deals with stories of the fantastic and the strange and so forth. But you've got to judge it on its own merits. It's not the same thing. And if yeah. you kind of get past that, you, can, you have a good chance of enjoying the experience.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And so because I've been doing that for so long, I feel like, when this show came along, by which I mean the new Twilight Zone here, I've already kind of been doing that separation in my mind for so long that I feel like people's reaction, pro or con, depends largely on how much of a continuation of the original Twilight Zone they thought it was going to be. Yeah. And people who thought that they were going to get something that was very, very much in the vein of the old Twilight Zone probably are the ones that are most apt to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, I don't blame them, but I wasn't expecting the same show. Yeah, and so I, I kind of understand why they feel that way. But in a sense, it's almost kind of like it, it's as if somebody took your grandmother's recipes for all your favorite foods, and another chef, and maybe a very talented chef, started putting them together. Uh huh. And you'd be like, well. It kind of tastes like what grandma made, but it's a little bit different. You know, these cookies have a little more cinnamon than I'm used to. And, yeah. oh, you know, she always put walnuts in the brownies and there aren't any in this one, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh-huh. So uh, I feel like that kind of, uh, you know, uh, affects the experience. By, I, I, I came across a line that I think kind of jumped out at me when I was reading. There was a review in, there's a site that's like Pujabi or something like that. I haven't really, I may be mispronouncing that. Hmm. But they were saying um, uh, they're built around themes rather than stories. And as soon as I read that, I thought, oh, maybe that is why, because I've been watching each one of them and I found elements that I've really liked. I've watched all of them with great interest. Uh-huh. They're strongly acted. The, a lot of the shots are very, very well done. Uh, you know, Nightmare at 30,000 feet, I was edge of my seat, <laughs> if not literally, certainly. <laughs> figuratively speaking. Uh, You know, couldn't wait to see what would happen. And, uh, you know, I was the same way with The Traveler and replay was incredibly compelling. I mean, I was right there with Nina and and Dorian and I couldn't stop rooting for them and hoping that they got away from this Terminator Mm -hmm. (laughs) racist policeman. Yeah. And so, by and large, I found a lot to like and yet somehow, I'll admit, in the end, it kind of feels like someone making something that's like Twilight Zone, and checking some of the boxes, and doing it, I think, much more successfully than previous reboots. But still, in the end, it's not going to be the same thing. Now, I'm okay with that, because as I said at the top of this point that I was making, I wasn't really expecting it to be. But if you were expecting it to be a continuation of Rod Serling's work, exactly, you're bound to feel let down. Because some people are really let down and I kind of feel bad for him, but I understand where they're coming from. So by and large, it's, it's for me, it's, it's been a positive experience, but I, I do find there have been, and you guys have talked about this cause I've listened to your podcast about the first three episodes. Uh-huh. They've touched on what I think are some things that could definitely be improved. There are all of them could use some trimming, you know, they're, they're a bit on the long side. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and of course, you know, If one is trying to make a show that would be like the original, I would say, well, it's not so much that you have to have a short show, but I feel like the advantage of being a little briefer is it enables you to get in, create an interesting situation, and snap, have some sort of a little twist, and leave everybody with a little bit of a smile. Mm. These four have been very interesting stories, but they're not, by and large, nobody's getting that dun-dun-dun, moment at the end where they're kind of like oh i had no idea you know i mean <laughs> uh uh-huh. uh-huh. um, you know so that that's certainly an aspect that i think could be could be fixed i don't have a problem with any of the messaging um i, I actually wrote a post about this this week uh, that was on display very prominently in replay some people have said oh this is a little too on the nose it's it's too heavy-handed uh i do feel like in the, in the third act it did probably get to be a little too heavy-handed, but I didn't really have a problem with it because it made me think of original episodes like He's Alive, even something like uh, Death's Head Revisited, which mm. were hardly, you know, as, as I said in the piece, you know, Serling often used a scalpel, but he could use a blowtorch when he wanted. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with that aspect of it at all. Um, the main thing I would like to see is a bit more variety as we go along, because one of the things that i've that I feel like is missing beyond a lot of the things that people have identified, think about the original Twilight of we had stories that were serious, stories that were thoughtful, stories that were funny. We had stories that were set on earth that were set on an asteroid that were set on uh, another planet. We had stories that were set two hundred years ago or three you know a hundred years ago, stories that were set far into the future
2: uh-huh
0: so now it's a little hard to say at this point we're only four episodes in but so maybe that'll change but uh, so far it's all set pretty much in the here and now uh, I'm hoping that it goes a bit beyond that and it doesn't turn into a straight let's make a commentary on this negative aspect of humanity which certainly was an element of the original Twilight Zone but was not the full breadth of the show you know Serling would do an episode like one for the angel I mean the tremendous humanity in an episode like that or a passage for trumpet, which is another great favorite of mine Uh where the message was as as simple and universal as, you know, life matters. You know, let's look out for the little people around us who are going through some crisis that we may not even be aware of, you know, kind of emphasizing our common humanity and Mm -hmm. calling us to be better. I love that about the original Twilight Zone. And as much as I like the new one, it remains to be seen for me whether it's going to rise to that that level now if it doesn't it's fine I, th- I still think we're going to get a very entertaining show but uh there's it's got a little ways to go i think
1: it was interesting when you spoke about reading those reviews because obviously i was voraciously looking at reviews as well when they came out and i i remember that review as well i bought When you said they were all over the map, it's true because I think the media outlets got given like the first four episodes and some of them were saying, well, this one's great, but those three aren't. These two are great, but those two aren't, you know, and they were were different (laughs) with each one. And I think what it comes down to for me, and a lot of them were saying, well, the original Twilight Zone did this, but these don't do that. And it it seemed to me that there was an expectation, there is an expectation sometimes of we have had 156 episodes of the original Twilight Zone in our collective minds for so many years that they create an overall perception of the Twilight Zone in each of our minds. And they're a bit different for every person. So every person latches onto something a bit different and every person focuses on different things in it so when you have all these reviewers saying well it doesn't do this but it does this and and so on i just wanted to say to them you're expecting the whole twilight zone experience in these four episodes but not every episode of the original twilight zone gave you the whole twilight zone experience you know and we look back on that thing as a whole now we can't look at this new show has given us that hole in each episode. they've They've only seen four episodes. Like you, you know, I hope it does branch out into the different aspects of the Twilight Zone. and I think we get a bit of that in tonight's episodes, which which we'll get to. I also think there needs to be a kind of realization that we're seeing that there's a connection here between the episodes that really speaking these these could actually be taking place in the same um continuity which i think is quite exciting it is yes. Yeah. i think we also need to realize that they they might have a plan and if there's a season two there might be another plan there that it's it is a bit more out in space or it is a bit more on alien worlds you know i think right. we do need to give them that chance to sometimes we're only privy to what we've seen we're not privy to what is actually planned and, and i hope that that bigger aspect is out there as well. Agreed. And, you know,
0: there's uh, what you just said, I, I agree with completely. You know, it, it, we are bringing our expectations in. And, and I think a lot of us forget that many of us encountered the Twilight Zone when we were kids. Mm. And so we've seen these episodes. And so these episodes, they aren't just an entertaining story that we watched once and thought, wow, that was a great story. These are things that we've internalized and have become part of a cultural experience that Mm -hmm. we've had with brothers and sisters, grandparents, parents. And so there's kind of a golden haze that sort of surrounds the experience of having watched The Twilight Zone and people uh, light up when they talk about, oh, I remember watching The Invaders, you know, when I was a kid and I was so scared and I was under the covers. And then you come as a mature adult and you start watching these new ones, and there's almost an impossible bar <laughs> that that has to be met so i I do feel bad for <laughs> to a point uh, you know for for, for peeling them. I mean obviously they, they've taken on this challenge voluntarily but but at the same time, you know I feel like if someone had come to me and said, "Hey, do you want to make a new twilight zone?" I would think, "You know what? Sure, I'm flattering myself. I think I know as well as anybody how to make one mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to attempt it. No. I think that would be very difficult to do. And uh, so I kind of, I keep rooting for them on the sidelines. Like, you know, you can do it, guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. You know, Paul, I could probably sit and talk to you about all kinds of things all night, and I think we should maybe do that in the future. But um, should we we get into tonight's episode? Absolutely. Okay. Well, tonight's episode of The New Twilight Zone is called A Traveller. First broadcast on the 18th of April 2019, written by Glenn Morgan and directed by Anna Lily Amapor. A mysterious man known only as A Traveller is discovered in a police cell in the town of Iglak, Alaska. A small town with a population of 936. I'm surprised there wasn't 1015. I <laughs> know, right. That sits at the closest point where America neighbors Russia. It's Christmas and Police Captain Lane Pendleton is hosting a party for some of the locals, which includes his Christmas tradition of pardoning someone who is in custody. Captain Pendleton is taken in by the praise directed at him by a traveller and brings him up to the party to be pardoned. But Police Sergeant Juker Monkiak isn't so easily taken in and is suspicious of the mysterious man throughout. As a traveler interacts with the people of the town, lies become indistinguishable from truth, and the real reason for him being there are revealed. So, you know, I always like to talk about Jordan Peel's opening narration, and, and this one's like 10 minutes into the episode, so I, I suppose it doesn't really right. matter uh, where we fit it in. Um, but we'll we'll talk about it right. and then maybe backtrack about certain aspects of it. I think when you look at the episode as a whole, he lays out really what it's about here, where he says the truth can take many forms depending on how you look at it. So that's, you know...
0: The Traveler says something very similar, you know. There's that one quote that he says where he says, um, I kind of made a quick note of it, you believe what you believe, isn't that what Christmas is all about? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, but I, I really enjoy this one because as you know I always like it when Rod Serling is, is in the scene and here we have Jordan Peele sitting behind his little electric fire in a prison cell with a present on his knee <laughs> right, delivering a present in
0: his lap. You know. Yeah.
1: Have you been enjoying the what Jordan's doing with it?
0: Oh, I Yeah. Oh, his, yeah. His his appearances have been have been very enjoyable in it. And and I think seeing that you know, that's something that they didn't even attempt to do. With the previous reboots, they did have an off screen narrator in the, the, the first one. Well, they did, I'm sorry, I, I should say, with the second one, they did too. Uh, but they never did it, you could say, in the Rod Serling way. And there is a great quote by Billy Mooney, who played, uh, uh, it was on the Twilight Zone three times, most famously as the uh, tiny tyrant Anthony, and it's a good life, uh, where he said, that there was no recurring character, so Rod Serling was the star of the show, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think we tend to forget how much of our positive view of Twilight Zone comes from the enjoyment of seeing Rod Serling come in and say something that is somehow simultaneously reassuring and scary at the same time. Yeah. And his opening and closing narration, the talk about Serling in the original, he could even make some of the weaker episodes seem better, with the way he tied it up at the end, uh, which I thought was a great boon to the show. So, uh-huh. and I, I feel like Peel is doing the same uh, with his uh, his his take. You know, is very in the vein of the original Twilight Zone, but it's not a impression of Serling. Uh um you know he he says it in this marvelously somber way but he's got a little bit of a wink implied in his expression and in what he's saying and i i feel like that aspect of the show through all three episodes has just been pitch perfect for me i I, I really like that part of it
1: and and i guess before we get into the story um the story itself i have to say that I absolutely adore the look and the location of this episode I think it's it's so sumptuously filmed you know you go down into those prison cells and they've chosen a really ornate cells I don't know whether it was a set or it's a real location but the cells themselves are so ornate and then there's just this sort of darkness creeping in at the edges and the movement as they go down the corridors towards the cells and then the kind of warmth of the Christmas party and the way the camera just sort of moves around looking at all the guests. Of all of the episodes, I think this one just is absolutely beautiful.
0: Agreed. Yeah, I was going to say the cinematography and having the excuse of the power sometimes failing, um, mm-hmm. uh, which which enables everything to look even darker and more mysterious at just the right time uh, is... Is a, is a great choice visually. yeah. Um, and I, I love that set of the cells there, like you were saying, whether it's real cells or a set. Uh, even though, and let me ask you if you have the same reaction, I'm thinking, here we have this little outpost, and you walk down this long, long, long corridor, and all the way down until you get to all these cells. And I'm thinking, based on what we see, they could pretty much put the whole town's population <laughs> into these... Down. i feel like Iglak alaska should probably have cells like they do on the andy griffith show i mean i don't, I don't know why it. i don't know why it's down this long long corridor and they've got such long big spacious cells but hey it looks great and i think that's the main thing so
1: now when when we meet our one of our main characters uh, yuka she's driving her brother jack to the cells they're kind of setting up the pardon if you like for captain lane pendleton um to to do it because they've actually got nobody in the cells it was a it was a little odd because when they talk about him, they talk about him being this big liar you know you you would think you're going to meet someone who isn't particularly nice at all uh, but when right. you when you get to them you know, I think there's clearly a bit of a showboater about them, you know, but but I think sometimes when you're in a a sort of position of not so much authority, but clearly a position that is prominent within the community, people will take on a, a bit of a bigger aspect um because right. that's that's just what they do um so i i didn't find them to be as as repellent as what i expected from that conversation where they were calling them a liar and so on what did you think of that
0: yeah no i agree i was going to say the interesting thing about uh, greg kinnear played it so well um and it's it's funny because you keep thinking well there's it's not really an admirable type of character but it was sort of impossible to hate him. I mean, mm. <laughs> like you said, he was something of a showboater. Uh, he clearly has much too high an opinion of himself, but he seems to be, you know, he's, and he's, he's casually offensive here and there, you know, <laughs> the way he talks about the, you know, well, as we tame this place to make it the 49th state, and there's mm. a little bit of, uh, ouch, that's not really... <laughs> <laughs> Great way of expressing yourself, and and clearly he has he has such an outmoded sense of importance that he uh, is not nearly as skeptical early on as he should be mm-hmm. when a traveler is explaining this ridiculously improbable story. You know, I'm thinking if I were in his shoes, and this guy shows up in my jail. Uh, you know, I would go into complete lockdown. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but instead, he's just like, huh? "Huh? how the hell did you get in there? You know, oh, well, you know, I'm this extreme traveler and we've heard all about this great sheriff and, and you're high on the bucket list of, of any extreme traveler's experience. And, and he basically is like, Ooh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, come on upstairs. <laughs> mm, yeah. And uh, I just was thinking, he really should be a lot more skeptical but again his ego is such even though he's something of a more likable character than you might expect is such yeah. that he swallows uh, what he what he says you know without being skeptical enough so.
1: i'd definitely I'd definitely like to come back to that point a bit later on because i think it ties into my overall sure. thought of the uh, of the episode um but when we meet the guy the traveler played by stephen yun and they bring him up to the party and it's much more charismatic than I've ever seen Stephen, Yun before. I mean, he might have been in stuff that I haven't seen, but I only know him from The Walking Dead where he's always like, "Ah, oh, man, someone's been killed by a zombie again," and you know, yeah. there's not there's not much to really there's not much to really right. get excited about as a character in The Walking Dead. Um, so it was really nice to see him in su- such charismatic form here. But yeah. when he comes up to the party and he's he's just using this charm to kind of win everyone over he's doing the karaoke and all that and then he he just starts to drop in little things here and there that make people start to take a second look you know i'm starting to get echoes of things like maple street and so on you know or definitely will the real martian please stand up even
0: right Or, or even the shelter you know, we're, we're people immediately of, of saying something uncomfortable and that veneer of civilization is just torn away.
1: I so. am mm-hmm. um, So I wanted to ask you about that really because I think with any of these episodes like Maple Street and so on where it's, it's all about just dropping something or someone in the middle of something and watching the ripple effect, there, there needs right. to be a point where it, it goes over the line. And, and I don't even think Maple Street... Might be controversial. I don't even think Maple Street um, pulls it off perfectly, where you go from right. its normal day-to-day stuff to like, there's got to be a hump. There's got to be a hump that they go across to where, right, things have really escalated now. Um, what What do you think
0: sure. of that escalation in this episode? It did seem. Uh, uh, it, I mean, it felt like it happened you know very quickly, um, you know, uh, but but then again. Well, two aspects about that. One of the reasons why I, I don't feel too overly critical of that is that, for one thing, of course, things often happened rather quickly on the original Twilight Zone. And it was, you know, because uh, it only had 25 minutes mm-hmm. to get the story told. And so things very often had to be told in a very economic fashion. Uh, so uh, the fact that everybody was at each other's throats a few minutes after he said these things told me two things one is let's not forget they're all pretty well lubricated they've yeah. all <laughs> they've all been drinking so they're probably not going to uh, they're a little more apt to react uh, in an emotionally raw and honest fashion and the other reason why I think that that's worked for me even though it seemed awfully quick was because I think the idea was that here, as with something like the neighbors on Maple Street, the neighbors in the shelter, the idea is that there are things unspoken Mm. that everybody just kind of thinks about, probably complains about privately, but everybody gets together and it's backslapping and and big smiles and nobody talks about it. But then as soon as a stranger comes along and says these things point blank in front of everybody... Then it's like, you say that if you do that, especially to a crowd that's, you know, well deep into the Christmas punch bowl, and you're probably going (laughs) to get some explosive reactions and, and that's what we get here. So, and the other aspect of it that I think, you know, kind of fits in in many ways with the verse, as it were, Mm. it's a lot of what he says isn't true. Mm Mm-hmm but people seem ready to believe these very negative things, which makes you realize that however much they're like, Hey, Hey, we're all together. We're all friends that a lot of that is very surface oriented. They don't really know each other. There's going to be some suspicions that run deep for whatever reason, whether it's well-founded or based on unreasoning prejudice is another aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And so, They've got to, uh, I think that that kind of thing helps reveal kind of like the, you know, because that was very much an aspect of the original Twilight Zone, you know, who are you beneath the surface? An episode like Piano in the House, for example, with the player piano, you hear a song and suddenly you start saying what you really think,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, you know, so again, they're they're doing a great job bringing up themes from the original Twilight Zone, um, it doesn't always result, I think, in a perfectly worked out and orchestrated story that is tightly told. But the attempt is there, and I feel something that is portends, I think, good things for the series if it continues.
1: I, uh, I think you're, you're spot on about – because I, I originally watched it. I watched it the first time, and you know I felt that hump there where things need to, to escalate – and then I thought, you know, I've worked in nightclubs before. I've worked in in parties where, like, a, a family even, an extended family will have a, a function room where they're having a, you know, a wedding party or something. And at the beginning, everyone's so happy and, you know, everyone's having a great time. Once that booze starts flowing, you know, though, you it doesn't take much for all those old grievances to come up. And, and so exactly oh, yeah. like you said, it, when you look at it that way, I, I think it's it's pretty feasible. Right. So as we go on, things do start to escalate because we have the character of Yuka who, who just never believes the traveler. Really. She always thinks there's something going on with this guy. Um, And, and it gets to the point where they can't really ignore it anymore. And her and even the captain who has been so willing to believe his lies, uh, they, they can't really believe it anymore. So they, they actually take him back down to the cells again. Now, I know, I know we're kind of skipping over certain scenes, but as long as we get to the gist sure. of it, they stand in front of him and, and he's kind of stood in the cell and he right. really starts laying stuff on them now. And, and at one point while they were upstairs, he was saying he was an agent from somewhere and then... right. When he's downstairs in the cell, he's claiming that he's Captain Marius Constant. <laughs> nice nice <laughs> touch uh, from, from some other organization. But he's just coming out with lie after lie after lie. And right. I, I will admit, on my first watch, my head was kind of spinning with this. Sure. You know, I wasn't really sure what was going on. I, I have a thought about that now, but I'd be interested to to see what you think about this aspect, because there's so much stuff coming in, and you're like, what even is true here? And so on. So what are your thoughts at this point?
0: Right. And, and it's, it's interesting you say that, because my reaction was almost the same. I, I also watched it twice. And the first time, I kind of had that head-spinning experience as, as we were going through it. Um, And, uh, oh, as a a side note, you mentioned about him saying Agent Marius Constant. Did you notice he also referred to himself before that as Special Agent Douglas Hayes? And Douglas Hayes was one of the best directors of The Twilight Zone. And a man who later directed uh, the first episode of of Night Gallery, by the way. Mm. But yeah, and and whereas the second time around, you know, obviously, uh, having seen the whole thing, I was able to kind of look at it a little more, less... Head-spinningly, but yeah. I thought, you know, in many ways, this, you know, it's written by Glenn Morgan, uh, who, of course, has, you know, uh, uh, you know, his most notable work to date has been on uh, the X-Files, uh-huh. and this felt, in many ways, very much like an X-Files episode, and not just because we were dealing with aliens, but in many ways, it's like the X-Files itself, in the sense that. Uh, that whole series uh, was constantly playing with what's true, what's not true. Yeah, they are aliens. Maybe they're not. Maybe the government just wants you to think they're aliens to cover up what they're really doing. Um, then again, maybe that's not true at all. I mean, there was—you were always being kept off balance in the original. Uh, I say the original X Files, like there's been another one. You know what I mean? <laughs> you were always being kept off balance in in the X Files which depending on how much of that you were willing to put up with either was part of the fun or part of the frustration <laughs> yeah, yeah um but it was almost like you know what in the end uh, uh, as I, i'm fond of telling people that says the truth is out there and yes it is out there but we never promised we'd ever give it to you <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a good point
0: point. and i kind of <laughs> i always kind of feel like that's that's the way it is here it's like what, so, so in a sense, that's why I feel like I want to go back then to what I said earlier when he said, uh, "You believe what you want to believe," and mm. isn't that exactly what was Mulder's poster in in X Files? I want to believe, uh-huh. not not the facts have led me to this inescapable conclusion. Therefore, I believe it. He believes what he wants to believe. Yeah, Mulder needed no push to believe in alien because he wanted to believe in it. But if anything came up about Uh, Scully's religious faith, he was an extreme skeptic because he doesn't want to believe that. And by the same token, I think here we were running into people who were disbelieving what they didn't want to believe and believing what they do. Which when you think about it, and I I don't know how intentional this is, but Glenn Morgan's a pretty clever guy. And so Mm. are all the people who are working on this series. I can't help but wonder if that's meant to be a commentary on where we are now as a society dealing with everybody being in their own echo chambers we believe what we want to believe and very often what we want to believe is something that is the most convenient thing to us Um, that conforms to our prejudices to what we want to believe and in the end however that can lead you to a point where what you believe is at variance with the facts maybe a little bit maybe a lot but it's going to be a problem
1: i completely agree and I, and I don't think I really picked up on it on that first watch. I, I was just bombarded with all of this information. And then I kind of thought on the second watch, well, maybe that's the point because we're living in this information age, but it's information that you can you can put it out there and it's not really policed in any way. You can pretty much... You might not be able to say it in newspapers they're regulated a bit more and and I'm talking over here I'm not sure what the situation is in the states um but you could put something online and pretty much say whatever you want so we are in this information age where truth truth and and it's one of the first things that Jordan said in one of those trailers when truth is not the truth what dimension are you even in and I and I think this right. is a really great example of it Mm-hmm. There's there's so much information out there that for the average person, you know, your concerns are putting food on the table, putting putting a roof over your head. You you don't have the time to sit and nail down. Well, is this thing true? I'm going to research that to see if it's true. So people, I th- right. I think there is a certain abuse of that, and and I don't and I am going to get slightly political, but I don't think it's it's a one party problem. To be honest, it's. It's the political landscape. Over here you will see this thing has happened and it could be anything. Let's talk about the deficit where the Prime Minister will say, we've had a great year, you know, things are going in the right direction. And then the opposition will say, actually, no, they're not. Things are going in the wrong direction. And and who do you believe? You know, the average person just doesn't know where to turn to find out what the truth is. So like you said, we're in this situation where there's such an abundance of information that people just pick and choose what what confirms the, where they sort of naturally sit, I suppose, And but right. they're also kind of led down the path of where those people putting out the information want them to go. So I, I didn't right. really get that on the first watch, but the next couple of watches, that's, that's really something that sank in for me.
0: Yeah, I almost kind of like, a, what do they call it, a confirmation bias, mm. where if you read something that uh, asserts something that conforms with what you already think, you automatically say, yes, I accept this, and we share a lot of these things uncritically. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, if we, read, if we read something that goes against our confirmation bias, then we reject it for that very reason. And I've had to really, you know, and here I sit, uh, you know, with a journalism degree, and but I'm also a human being Mm -hmm. (laughs) who has, you know, my own ideas about things. And I've, uh, you know, I've had instances. I've, I've had to really remind myself, you know, don't do that hot take. Wait, make sure that something is is true, because sometimes something that, as they say, the old saying goes, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And there's a lot of truth to that. And so maybe that is kind of a Underlying theme of this episode. You know, it's kind of like, well, be careful with what you accept and what you reject because you may think you're doing it based on pure logic, but Uh that's seldom the case. There's usually, you're usually acting on an agenda and you're not even aware of it. So proceed with caution. Definitely.
1: Definitely. So, in, in terms of where the episode actually goes, I mean, there's this aspect of Has Captain Pendleton been, you know, selling information to the Russians and so on? I've read reactions where people have written that he definitely is. I'm, I'm not sure. I know that to be the case. Actually, you know, I'm just (laughs) no right. I'm just not sure that it was the point of the episode to say whether it was true or not. Because, I mean, I'll, I'll lay it out. We get to this point where it's basically based on a shed where the. The town's power grid meets the Air Force base grid, and this is quite tactically beneficial to an invading force. So uh, the traveller is really trying to point this out, and Captain Lane Pendleton goes there because the traveller tells him that the Russians are on the way there, but his people are on the way there too. So is he going to see the Russians, or is he going there to see the Americans, or is he is he going there because it's the right thing to do and he wants to try and protect the grid, you know? And and I'm not sure which one it is, to be honest. So what, what do you think?
0: My impression, uh, and you know, like you said, I mean, the kind of the, the fact that it could be one, the other, or something else entirely, you know, mm-hmm. may indeed be the point of the episode. But I think what would fits in really with the point that they're making with the episode would be that he is not actually working with the Russians. The impression that I had was, you know, initially when that was brought up and he went rushing off, I thought, oh my gosh, he's guilty. Mm -hmm. And so he goes rushing off, but then he continues to talk to Sergeant Yuka. And it sounded to me like he was saying, well, essentially he said that to get Pendleton to lead them to the shed. And that this was basically laying out that accusation of him working with the Russians was a trick. To get Uh him to geographically go to the place they needed him to go to yeah but yuka meanwhile chases after him and is willing to believe he's working with the russians and taking his apparently guilty behavior as proof of that because she wants she hasn't confronted the fact that she wants to take pendleton's place yeah Yeah. he wants to be the lead sled dog you know she she, he may be a good soldier and salute and do everything she's supposed to do, but deep down she knows he's a goofball. She'd be a much better captain. And so that leads right into what we've been saying all along, which is, let's, you know, you believe what you want to believe. Yeah, yeah. And so his gift to her was, I gave you a lie that you should be grateful for because it's going to give you what you want, which yeah. is you get to be the captain of the iglak <laughs> alaska and you get a chance to run this station under the rule of <laughs> of your alien overlords so uh,
1: yeah you're absolutely right and jordan peel in his closing narration pretty much lays that out doesn't he? he said the most dangerous lies come in the form of beautifully wrapped gifts and that's that that's exactly what it is so while it was a bit of a head spinner on face watch when I've subsequently watched it, I, I think I, I've tuned into what it was trying to say, which is great. The only yeah. thing I'm, I'm a little unsure of is, you know, the Traveller comes in because he needed Captain Pendleton to go to that shed so that the invading alien force knew where it was, if, if I'm understanding right. that rightly. But I guess the age-old thing then comes into it, well, if they can do so many things... They can right. have this guy infiltrate who knows things about these people. How does he even know any of these things about these people? Unless unless mind reading is an aspect of this race, I suppose you could say that. Um, exactly. Then why do they need such a simple act to find out where this place <laughs> right. is? Can't they just scan the area? So it's, so it's one of those age-old difficulties that you know you have with science fiction sometimes. I'm not sure whether you have any thoughts on that.
0: No, I, I, you no, know, you're absolutely right because that occurred to me as well. I mean, obviously, if they're if they know all of these things about these people and they can press their buttons almost as easily as snapping their fingers, then why would it be necessary for Pendleton to physically lead them to the shit yeah. <laughs> or to you know to this particular spot? Uh, it, it, it may well be that. It is just one of those things where it was like, well, we had to have something. This is what Hitchcock used to call the MacGuffin. It's the thing that isn't going to stand up to too much scrutiny if you really want to get technical about it. But uh, since it is sort of beside the point, which is to point out that everybody is believing or disbelieving according to whatever is expedient and convenient for them, then it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. this is something that when you think about it, maybe is not particularly plausible.
1: All right, then, Paul. So... Give, give us your overall views then on this episode, or is there anything you wanted to bring up on it that we might have missed? You know, give us your overall thoughts on
0: it. Well, o- overall, I feel like it—it—it it, it, it definitely was. It, it's it's certainly very positive. I I, I like what they were doing uh, on, on a rewatch. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more. Uh, you know, even if it's it's still not. You know, and I and I freely say this. You know, people say I don't understand. You know, how can people say positive things? You know, this isn't the twilight zone by which they mean the rod Serling version but i feel like you can still enjoy it even if you've really acknowledged that it is not the same show in a sense like i said before it's like somebody taking the old recipes but kind of giving their own little bit of a twist on them and so i found all of them to be interesting i mean there certainly are aspects that could be better. All the episodes, I think, could be tighter. Even people who have written very, very flattering reviews of these episodes have said, yeah, it really could be tighter. Um, And even though I don't have a problem with any of the writing, one thing that will always be easy to miss is Serling's dialogue. Uh One of the reasons it's been such a joy over the years to do what I do on Twitter and quote these episodes is the, the phraseology of Serling and his other writers, so good, mm-hmm. and maybe that set a bar that's so high that even the best writer can't get that. I mean, there aren't a lot of super quotable lines in these episodes, but they're still they're still entertaining. I still yeah. like I, I like how they're recalling and employing some of the same themes, even if it's not the same Twilight Zone, as it were. I'm sorry if that's a little bit of a mishmash, but.
1: I get what you're saying. You know, um, I think there is a all, always an element of acclimatization, and yeah. I think we quite naturally focus sometimes initially on what it doesn't do, right? And then as time goes on, it gets easier to focus on what they do do, and right because and it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning because we have this overall impression of the twilight zone it is very easy to focus on what it's not doing. And and you're right, you know, sailing dialogue is like poetry, you know, and that's, that's definitely something that these don't have in the same way, you know. Um, right. But, but equally, do we want them trying to right esque dialogue in that way or maybe we're just happy to say that yeah. that's something that that the original show did so it, you know it's it's all up there yeah. for discussion and we're all, all going to feel differently on that but um right. but maybe that's one of the, the the joys of discussing it as well um right yeah as far as this episode goes for me it's it's a funny experience because I watched the first four and this was definitely at the bottom of the heap for me-hmm but it, it seems that every time I watch it, it, it gets higher in my estimation. And once I realize what right. I was actually saying, I, I do think that last sort of third is just a head spinner when you're first watching. And, and that can quite easily put people off. And it did put me off.
0: It's one of those things where I feel like uh, it's one thing to, if, if you watch something again and then you go, you know, now that I've looked at it a little bit more, you know, I really like this aspect of it. That's great. But at the same time, you... There's a part of me that's like, but it shouldn't be necessary to watch something more than once
1: yeah, to get yeah. it.
0: You know what I mean? <laughs> uh huh. So I will say that. I mean, I, I am, uh, I get it, but I feel like I never had to rewatch an X Files to get what they were saying, uh, or and certainly not rewatch a Twilight Zone. I mean, we do that because we want to and because they're they're fun, but we shouldn't feel like we have to. So yes a second watch does reveal uh, or does make it clear that the episode is a bit richer and more interesting than we may have realized the first time around, but it shouldn't be necessary. So I, I, I was just going to say, I I agree with what you were just saying. It, Mm -hmm. it, it it does have that weakness uh, to it. So, yeah. And uh, Oh, and one other side note, and I know this has come up before and not to harp on it, but again, I, I don't really understand why it's sort of necessary to have, you know, a, Sort of large measure of profanity, and one review that I was reading was pointing out. I think it was in the AV Club, actually. So this is not exactly coming from a source that you know has any problem <laughs> with <laughs> with, uh, with four-letter words. But one of the, they actually made a good point, and they said, uh, if I'm right, that they were the ones who said it. But somebody said that makes it. You know, the original Twilight Zone was such a show that could be watched by the whole family, and they're saying you can't really do that with these, which is a shame because they would be very good fodder for discussion about these themes that we've been discussing. Yeah. So, you know, is it really necessary, you know, for us to have, you know, Yuka's brother, you know, uh, bleep Christmas five Mm. times or whatever throughout the episode. It's like, okay, we get it, Jack, (laughs) you know, and, and stuff like that. I mean, it was just kind of like, I kind of wish they would dial that element of it back. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a time and a place for that kind of thing. And I don't know, you know, even if this is a 21st century twilight zone, if we really need to have that, or at least not to the degree that we do. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that's my two cents on that.
1: Everything else aside, it's one of the things that I've seen a lot. And I said my thoughts on it in in another show that personally it, doesn't bother me, but I do completely understand. You know, my friend Brandon, who's been on several times, loved to watch The Twilight Zone with his daughter, and it's not something he can really do with this one. So I do completely, right. completely get that. Now, as we've seen, seen through these new episodes, there are links between them. And this might just be a fun little aside, you know, uh, the comedian was on a magazine cover in Nightmare at 30,000 Feet and so on. Or it right. could. Uh, actually be built into something or could mean something and if that's the case here we have a part of america that has been invaded by aliens so does does that mean anything to the bigger picture i I wonder whether that will pay off what do you think
0: oh oh, you mean Will this invasion continue to be a fact of life in future episodes? Yeah. Or or is it just a
1: case of, well, you know, it's a small little part of Alaska that they want to, and he did actually say that, you know, in in a year's time, there'll be more of me around here. So maybe they're just happy to take control of that part for now, or maybe we'll never, we'll never hear from it again.
0: It, it's not a to serve man type of invasion where the whole world that once knows they're here, it will be uh kind of a slow rolling one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're, we're starting out at, uh, at, at a very, very remote part of the world. And yeah, it could be, that's a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. I was noticing, but there's a couple of other things I, I don't know what they would slot in. So I could just kind of bring them up. Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, with the, with the Easter eggs. I love stuff. We already mentioned a couple of the names with, uh, you know you mentioned marius constant who of course was the composer of the famous dee-doo-dee-doo Deedoo, <laughs> uh-huh. for those who don't know that and douglas hayes who i mentioned was a director but of course they also had you notice uh officer lupino did you notice that
1: yeah yeah
0: and another character named ida so it was like you know a little call out to ida lupino and and of course we saw the gremlin again and
1: talky tina was there wasn't she
0: yeah, Talkie Tina popped up. The dummy's face was on the wrapping paper, and mm-hmm. and you noticed the mayor's name was Matheson, and there was I think I think it was his wife Dottie it was Matheson, you know. So uh huh uh huh. Um, and I noticed in the credits that one of the characters. Remember the one where he he says something to this one character, the a traveler does, where he says something about how um oh what about your being behind in your payments with your ex wife? And the guy says, "That's not true." Well, that character's name was Jacques. And then in the credits, it said his name was Jacques Tournier. Well, Jacques Tournier was the director of the movie The Cat People years ago and a number of other things, but he directed the episode, the Twilight Zone episode Night Call.
2: Oh.
0: So I thought, ah, oh, that was very clever. And I noticed another character was named Arch Halton. I thought that was funny because in the Halton, of course, the last name of Buck Halton. Mm. The producer of the first three seasons of the original Twilight Zone, and then Arch, I thought, almost surely has to be a call out to the character Arch Hammer, who was one of the faces of the character in Four of Us Are Dying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, you know. And did you did you notice as well uh, the, the the all the desk lamps in the station have a uh, flying saucer look to them.
1: I didn't notice that. No. Oh, cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you check it out, I'm like, that, that can't be a coincidence. Yeah, you'll, you'll <laughs> notice it uh, where they, if you go back and you see where they have the the dummy's head on the wrapping paper and Talkie Tina. If you notice it, as it pans up, look at the lights. There are the uh, not the Christmas lights, but but the like desk lamp. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when we see Yuka uh, dutifully making her calls to check out this guy's nice story, her desk lamp also has that kind of. Stereotypical flying saucer. Like, I thought that was interesting. So.
1: Oh, fantastic. Fantastic.
0: And, and another thing, again, I don't know if this means anything, but I just thought it was funny. I, I on my free watch, I froze when she he handed them his ID. Mm. And it said, you know, a traveler. I thought it was funny. The address on it said 1010. I thought it would have been 1015, but I looked at it very carefully and it really, really looks like 1010 10 for some reason, huh. the street address. And then it says Hacker Way. Uh, which I thought was interesting, and you know the weird thing—I don't know if this means anything or it was just picked at random—but the expiration date on his ID says 1017. Uh, I'm sorry, 1021, 2017, the year 2017. And I thought, well, that's odd. Why is he? Unless it was such a flash, they figured it didn't matter. Yeah. But for some reason, the expiration date was October 21st of 2017, and he's a 1010 hacker way, so. <laughs>
1: All right. Okay. One thing I did um, get onto because I'm a bit geographically tra- challenged, I guess. I didn't realise how much mm-hmm. how close Alaska was to Russia, or or parts of it at least. Um, right. And I looked up Iglak to see is this a real town? And of course it's not. But the word Iglock, and people have mentioned it to me on Twitter as well, means stranger or traveller. Mm-hmm in the in the sort of inuit language so that was pretty cool as well
0: oh yeah yeah you're right i mean obviously that that you know no coincidence there as well mm. and uh and yeah it's it, it, it's interesting i was going to say that actually sounded plausible you know is the name of a town Iglac, alaska so, Yeah, yeah that sounds like a, you know it would be a real town so
1: cool well i i guess we we've kind of covered it you know it it's interesting you mentioned before about the different types of Twilight Zone episodes. And and I guess it is kinda nice that considering that part of America has just been invaded by aliens, it it does have a bit of a a joke at the end, you know, that the aliens sitting there and they're both eating the turkey. So I, I kinda like as well that it does show us that they are willing to go with the the bigger sort of science fiction things. And maybe it is a case of just introducing them gradually rather than just being like bang, here's a load of aliens doing something, you know. So, <laughs> so I think maybe sure. it, could, it could be part of the plan. So I thought that was pretty cool to see as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. i was going to say, I mean, obviously, aliens is a you know a big part of the original uh, Twilight Zone universe. And uh, and it, it kind of makes sense that one written by Glenn Morgan, who was so closely associated with X-Files, it makes sense that sort of he would be the one to introduce us to an alien invasion. So
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I think that kind of wraps up our chat on The Traveller. Now, the listener feedback bag has been a bit light this week, considering that the first couple were were so, uh, there was quite a bit coming in. And, and I do wonder if anyone is waiting for the episode to drop. Um, with the first couple of episodes, or the first episode and the third episode at least, I was able to put them out on the same day that the episode was released. From now on, when the episode comes out of a Thursday, uh, the Twilight Zone podcast episodes will come out of a Saturday. So there will be like a two-day delay between them because I won't have had advance notice of the episodes from now on. So you don't have to wait for my episode to come out before you send your thoughts in. If the episode comes out of a Thursday, just try and get your thoughts in by the Sunday, by the end of the Sunday, following and you can do that by emailing your clips um like i said if if you are able to do it on a clip i would prefer it and i will play all of the clips whereas emails i might need to shorten them or not use all of them depending on how many come in but please don't let that stop you sending emails you know i'll I'll just cross that bridge when i come to it but if you could send them to tz2019 that's tz2019 at the twilight zone podcast.com that would be great. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can keep those listener feedback shows going as well.
0: Yeah, I found it very interesting to to listen to, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. They've been they've been pretty great. I've I've really enjoyed them.
0: And it's great too to hear and, and people have a chance to record, you know, so you don't just have to be reading emails the whole time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so that's our episode, Paul. I can't believe, you know, we've been sort of in this arena for so long and we haven't spoken i'm glad we've remedied that now um absolutely you know we will we'll definitely do something in the future but i uh, on behalf of anyone who reads your output whether it's on your blog or twitter i think we all owe you a great thanks for what you do uh, as part of the kind of Online world, keeping Rod Sailing's legacy alive. So, thanks for all you do, man. I know yeah. you put a lot of effort into it, and, and we all really appreciate it.
0: Oh, I, I appreciate that a lot. It's been it's been very rewarding. I always tell people it's a labor of love. But you're right. I mean, you know, from working on the podcast, that it does take a you know a, a lot of effort, but it's very rewarding. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, to get a chance to talk about all these things. So, and uh, I think probably the the thing I, I most like to hear is when people say, uh, oh, you know, reading that quote, that made me want to rewatch the episode. I just went off to Netflix and watched it, or I just got out my discs and watched it. Uh, I love to hear that, because that's really what I'm trying to do, you know, to kind of keep the show alive, which sounds funny, because obviously it's so famous, it's not like it needs much Mm -hmm. help, but all the same, I just feel like, you know, I feel like we need the show more than ever, and even with a new version of it on the scene, it's, uh, I feel, feel like it's you know, important to have a podcast of yours and, and other efforts to keep Rod Stillings' work alive. So thank you, Tom.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And if people want to check out your Twitter, it's at The Night Gallery, isn't it?
0: Yes, yeah. And it's important to have the the in there. I, I think I, I tried when I established it to just have it Night Gallery, but I think some band had that name. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to be The Night Gallery, which... I'm lucky I even got that because I think that's about as the maximum number of characters you can have in a name or something. It's pretty close.
1: So. Yeah. And then the blog is at thenightgallery.wordpress.com, isn't it?
0: Right. Yeah, thenightgallery.wordpress.com will take you to the blog.
1: All right. Well, that's, uh, that's enough from us. And next time we will be speaking about episode five, which is called The Wonderkind. And we will speak to you then. Goodbye for now.